You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd Podcast. Nerds. Super nerds. And as always, I'm with Cap and Alex from the Something Good For You podcast. Yo, yo. Thank y'all for listening. Been getting a lot of feedback on this show, and I want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in and letting us know your thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, it's funny. We've we got, read everything. We do. <laughs> It's funny, we, we're, we're almost, it's like we're getting told we're not going nerd, full nerd enough. I know, I love it. <laughs> That's great. Um, Let us know how we're doing. Keep uh, letting us know if we're uh, nerdy enough for you. <laughs> yeah, we, we appreciate it. Um, we're not experts. We don't pretend to be, and we're not, uh, you know, we don't host any sites. We're not, uh, we have no insider status. We're just sort of winging this and having fun with it our own way. Oh, so. yeah. Hopefully you're having fun with it too. We're in the uh, transition phase from Dynasty into the Unmasked cycle, I guess you would say. Yep. Yes, we and we're also transitioning from the '70s to the '80s. Yes. Which As is you heard our a, wrap up last week. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big <laughs> jump, and uh, you know, and it seems like a lot of groups are kind of a lot of the established groups are like trying to figure out how they're going to transition into the 80s. Somehow this was like a big thing. Like somehow you're turning the major, you know, a major milestone point in, in the history of time, right. you know, the 70s into the 80s. Mm-hmm. Even and, the Ramones were addressing it. Yeah, I mean, it was, but it was, it was kind of a big deal. But, you know, it's funny because in the last couple of years, we've seen Kiss change uh, increasingly uh, stilting more towards a commercial kind of thing Mm -hmm. and we're going to see this really at its zenith here but you know they were once perceived as kind of a they almost had like a outsider status they were a cult band you know and and now it's like they're kind of moving towards a more of an elite scene of insiders Mm -hmm. in a weird way with gene dating Cher and then diana ross and they're you know paul hanging out at studio 54 right you know it's like they you would think that the old kiss would have been more inclined to be hanging out at well if you didn't know better you know what like a cbgb kind of thing or something maxis which of course Mm -hmm. i don't think was was around at that point but they're not they were never part of that no they never wanted to be a part of that. You didn't know that if you didn't know anything about them, which, of course, no one knew anything about them because they worked so hard to preserve that mystique. Right. But we've seen them go from the black and silver into the Technicolor Kiss, this so-called Super Kiss. And actually, real quick, just side note, thinking about that even, I'm surprised Ace still didn't. Like, he seems like that kind of guy that still would have snuck out and hung out like yeah, in areas know, like that. Know, yeah, he, like, of all just, people. Yeah, I don't know. That's he, a good point. He talks about hanging out with John Belushi in his book. Yeah. and Like, right you know, before he died. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, there were certain 
points where those circles inter- intersected. Yeah, because because I know that um, Marky and Joey of the Ramones have always spoke highly of like Kiss in the early days, right? And I know that they kind of intertwine. Like I know Marky and Peter were slash our friends or you know in relation and to each Peter, other we, we talked about peter being close friends with jerry nolan from the yeah. dolls and later on johnny so Thunder's who knows? maybe they, maybe there's just untold stories of the two of them hanging out well, in that maybe, area but that would be kind of interesting look i'm going nerdy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but i'm just saying it fun. seems like at this point they're their whole kind of standing and status is they're you know, they're, they're getting more and more ingrained into mainstream kind yeah. of culture big time and so you know certainly that's by design and what i don't think they realize is that they've now kind of you know they spent a since since 78 with the movie the comic book the uh, the toys in specific, not just all the merchandise, but the toys in specific, mm-hmm. you know, their their fan base has become increasingly younger and younger. And that helps ingrain them more into the mainstream because young kids are not going to be so much inclined to care about, um, you know, that kind of outsider thing. And because even if the tour may be dwindling, the mystique is still strong among the fan base. Right. And, but... Straight out of the shoot, 1980 begins, and this kind of illustrates where they stand. They're kind of standing in their cultural standing. And I got to thank uh, a listener, Dennis Highland, for bringing this to, to my attention because I had forgotten about it almost. I hadn't completely forgotten about it, but it fits perfect in the timeline here, and I'm glad he brought it up when he did. So thank you, Dennis. Uh, Linda Carter, TV's Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. does a television special. And there's a sequence in it where she comes out and she's singing Rock and Roll Fantasy by Bad Company. And then yeah. she has her Rock and Roll Fantasy and she visions herself like Tina Turner and I forget who else. But I think I know what you're going with. And then she does I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss, yeah. right? And they advertise this as Linda Carter with special guest Kiss. Yeah. Or at least that's the way I picked up on it because I remember watching this. Oh, really? Because oh, I've absolutely. seen the YouTube clips. I, I have a I have very too. clear memory of watching this. Okay. Okay. And being really, really pissed (laughs) because it wasn't really Kiss. No, we're like, that's not Kiss. (laughs) Now you need you can find this on YouTube, and anyone that listen is listening. I I advise you to watch it because. Linda Carter's on fucking fire. In this oh, oh, yeah. And her costume basically looks like she's got her breasts out. Mm-hmm. And I hear as an eight or nine year old watching this, I was so pissed off <laughs> about not seeing the real kiss that it didn't even occur to me that she looks essentially topless in this thing. <laughs> the blind rage of a teenager. Well, that wasn't even a teenager. Boy, so maybe that's blinders. that shows you yeah. my, my hormones had not yet kicked in or something. I don't know. I mean, I thought boobies were swell at that age. Believe me. But at this point, <laughs> swell. You know, it was less swell. The kiss wasn't in this thing. And it was like just a bunch of guys dressed up like kiss. And yeah. I was so angry. Yeah, they're like background uh, dancers or something uh-huh. like that. Uh, interesting side note. She's wearing a costume in this thing that gets either recycled or just refashioned. And I don't know the the hows and whys behind it, but years later, Gene Simmons is in a movie called Never Too Young to yes, Die with uh, John Stamos, and right? He wears this exact yep. same costume. Yes, he does. I found a thing on Google where the the two costumes are the t- or uh, Gene and Linda Carter. I side, don't know if it's the exact it. same costume it's, or if it's just a remake of the of the costume. It's but pretty similar. <laughs> I can't imagine that Gene would have fit in her size. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> so it was modified. 
Yeah, I don't know. That is an interesting one. I never really fully thought about that. So I have that airing on January 12th. So this is straight out of, you know, this is 1980. Yeah. The, the Dynasty Tour has ended a month prior. You know, and here, this, the, you know, Linda Carter is a pretty big star coming off the heels of Wonder Woman. She's got her own TV special. Mm-hmm. And who, who does she, in, you know, want to emulate in her show? Is Kiss. So right. that's how, and everyone knows what Kiss is at this point. You know, I think even if you don't know their names, you in, obviously you instantly recognize the faces and yeah. you know what it is. Kiss has finally achieved that status where it's like, you know, again, even if you don't know their names, you know what Kiss is, and you know the four faces. Mm-hmm. You may not even know Demon, Star Child, whatever. Blah, blah, You're just blah, like, right. oh yeah, but I know. I've seen you've that. Seen that. You know what it is. Oh, that's the band with the makeup. That's yeah. You know. Oh, that's what Little Billy likes. You mm-hmm. know, he's got them all over his walls at home. Mm-hmm. So aren't they those comic book guys? Yeah, I mean, it, but Who it knows? works. They're, yeah, it works. They're, they're they're huge at this point. Um, Wasn't this around the time period when Gene was saying he wanted to be like the Coca Cola of music? Yeah, just I easily mean, that recognizable. Was always, yeah, he wanted yeah. to be. He wanted to be like on the same level as Disney, Coca Cola, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting that I'm, I'm sure that's kind of Bill a coin also in his ear going, oh, "Hey, we could." But it's still interesting to already hear him mentioning that stuff around the Dynasty Unmasked era. Um, it's interesting also, I think, to note that they have not yet copyrighted the uh, designs of their face paint. That's still in play. That's why I think Linda Carter's able to pull this off with a, without any red bite. tape. Huh. And really, it's all to the greater glory of Kiss. So I'm sure they would have recognized that anyway, and it mm. probably would have allowed it. I forgot that they basically got it fully trademarked right as they were taking it off. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, which is we'll talk about that in a future mm-hmm. episode, probably the very next one. Yeah. Um, on February 8th, this is also a major point that's going on behind the scenes. Um, Casablanca basically officially closes, I guess, if you want to call that, and gets enveloped into Polygram. Polygram bought out 50% of Casablanca Mm -hmm. in 1977. I don't know if we brought that up in the previous episode. I think we were mentioning that they're already going through different talks with Um, things. They were originally, you know, we talked about how they were originally uh, being distributed by Warner Brothers. Yes. And the original plan was for when, you know, Casablanca was built to fail, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and be enveloped into the Warner umbrella. Right. And then that fell through. They tried to negotiate a deal with ABC. That didn't work. And somehow they came to form a deal with Polygram, which is um, a Scandinavian company, I think. Okay. Um, And in the process, on February 8th, Neil Bogart resigns, leaves Mm -hmm. Casablanca. Um, Now, when when Casablanca gets fully enveloped by Polygram, Polygram has to go back and renegotiate the deals with the axe. Now, is this after Unmasked is released? Because no, I think this is Unmasked... before Unmasked is released. This is this is February eighth, nineteen eighty. So okay. this is still months. Before Unmasked you... is probably being recorded during this period. Okay, because I, I was trying to think. Because I thought Unmasked was the last one released under Casablanca. No, Creatures of the Night will be the last one released under the name Casablanca. Okay, but it's still part of Polygram. Got it. Okay, they, got it. You know, but Polygram has the rights to use the logo and the name and whatever. Right. Okay, I understand that. And now, the yeah. two main acts that they're really wanting to hold on to is Kiss and Donna Summer. Donna Summer uh, bails and goes and just goes with Geffen Records, mm-hmm. um, even though she's still, I think, technically obligated for one more album with them i think when she did the she works hard for the money that was 
I think a Casablanca record. I can't remember. I, I'm pretty sure. I should have. I meant to research that further. I've dropped the ball on that, but I Look guess it it's irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> the Look point is, is that with Kiss, when they had their contract, you know, brought in under Polygram, they had what they called a key man clause, mm-hmm. which is, you know, only the biggest acts get this sort of kind of favoritism. And their key man, of course, is Neil Bogart. So when Neil Bogart leaves, that that's when they can really renegotiate renegotiate because they had the right to terminate their contract which yep. is what they do they immediately issue a, a, a notice to polygram that they're leaving the label mm-hmm. and of course polygram are like no don't go and it's interesting here because uh it's howard marks that negotiates the steel not bill of coin oh okay so there seems to be a power play developing yeah. between Bill Coin and Howard Marks. Mm-hmm. And we'll see this play out further. But um, Howard Marks negotiates the New Deal for $15 million with a $2 million advance on each new album. And that gives them a royalty rate of $1.20 per unit. Hmm. That's so pretty. It's a, back then, that was a, a sweet deal. <laughs> fucking deal. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, of course, it's going to be like the first time the band is actually making money. Oh yeah, well they were yeah technically probably yeah because so much of it was getting cycled back in or because in Bill of Coins pockets. They also uh, they recognized this lopsided merchandising deal, mm-hmm. which is exacerbated by the overhead and overspending of Bill of Coin. You know, it's like where it's, it's the money came in, but no one knows quite where it went. But it, they know where it didn't go. Yeah. <laughs> and so they basically terminate that deal with a coin and develop a new merchandising deal with 20th Century Fox. Right. And it's a licensing deal. So 20th Century Fox, of course, has a uh, an established track record with the Star Wars franchise at this mm-hmm. point. And so that's what kind of puts them on the map right you go wait 20th century fox and you think star wars it's like oh okay i get mm-hmm. it so this is all happening while they're i guess basically while they're recording uh there's a lot they plan a european tour that was supposed to be i guess an extension of the dynasty tour for mm-hmm. europe and that was going to begin in uh march and then it gets canceled yeah and all the dates are rescheduled for fall, and it will be part of the next album's touring cycle. Interestingly enough, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then, of course, the most important thing that goes on during the middle of all this is Peter Chris of course. is fired. Yeah, and they're not telling the public about any of this. Nobody knows what's going on here. And Bill Acoin you know seeking to preserve the four people and recognizing that this is four unique personas you can't just easily replace one Mm -hmm. that's just not it's not like you know um it's like the super friends yeah or it's not even or just i was going to relate it to another band you know any other band you know lover boy oh their drummer quit yeah, who cares? Who, who's the, who's the drummer in Loverboy? I couldn't tell you the name of the. I drummer couldn't tell you the singer is. You know, <laughs> but I'm just saying. You know, it's not like an, and Loverboy was a big band. Yeah, uh, but I'm just using that as an example. I don't think they were on really popular at this point. But you know, Bill Lacoin recognizes that Kiss very a big part of the whole Kiss thing is the four personas and not just four unique personas but the four guys it's not yeah. you know it's like you can't who if it would be like the beatles replacing ringo Starr, right 
you don't replace Ringo fucking star. He's Ringo fucking star. <laughs> yeah. But Kiss, of course, has no choice because Peter's kind of made himself, you know, a, a, pro, a liability. A, pro, a liability. There you there go. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a good way to describe and it. And he gets a second chance. The story. So the story goes. <laughs> I he love takes the story. drum lessons, and then he shows up to do a, I guess, like a, a rehearsal of old which material, was essentially, which was essentially a tryout to see if he could still do it. And he brings sheet music, apparently. Okay, and so. And the thing is, is multiple people have called the story back. Like, yeah. it's not just, like, one what, member right. being a little rude. Yeah. It's like, I've heard this from, like, a few folks, and I'm just like, okay. If you read Peter's book, he talks about how he does it. He plays badly on purpose just to fuck with them. I don't see, I don't know about that. Know, that seems like a... It's like <laughs> I break the sheet music just to be you, an why asshole. Why would you do that? I don't right? either. It just... I, he talks about how bad see, his head, it, headspace was at the time, too, and how he really didn't want to be a part of it. Well, really. I can understand that. I can... I, that I can accept. Yeah. You know, and it, that's been pretty obvious for the last... That whole previous Dynasty tour. Mm-hmm. He just seemed like he wasn't there. He'd already checked out. But, he, you know... I, he seems to think that he's going to be even bigger than Kiss. He seems to think that, you know, based on his success with the song Beth, that he could do more mainstream, mm-hmm. uh, even you know, though commercial his record sales that, themselves didn't. Well, no, he hasn't made his first record yet, but the you solo know it album. doesn't. It hasn't come out yet. Oh, the Peter Crystal album. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with yeah. Kiss. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right, going, yeah, I'm like, I know, I know. It didn't do, I, you know, the, but hey, you know, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Right. <laughs> that probably affected his decision-making. He decision probably making was his, heavily uh, deluded with this. So, uh, in the in the interim, they're, of course, they are recording the album, un, which will become Unmasked, and they're um, using Anton Fig on drums again. He played on Dynasty, all but, I guess, one track. Yeah. We talked about that. Yep. Uh, now he's playing again on this. Um, there's some stories here. There's a story that suggests that Anton was actually hired to replace Kiss. I mean, replace, <laughs> replace, replace, replace Chris. Replace Peter Chris. <laughs> and that lasted for all of a day until Gene and Paul kind of had a sit down and we were like, wait a minute. Ace and Anton are pretty tight. And that could be a liability. We don't need a half and half decision we making process ha- like yeah. it was. And so that gets immediately nixed, like all within a day. Yes, and and Anton's told that story too. He's just like an ace. He called me up. And he's like, "Hey, buddy." <laughs> okay, because I've heard another story where he claims he didn't want to leave the band he was in at the time, which was called Spider, who yeah. had just charted on on their debut single. Uh, it was a song called New Romance. Mm-hmm. It's a mystery. <laughs> and it, But it reached 35, which is a respectable showing for a right. new band. Um, they also, that band also features a songwriter and singer named Holly Knight. Yep. And she would go on to have a very impressive list of top 40 songwriting credits. Some hmm. with uh, Kiss and various members of Kiss. Yeah. I mean, but if you go and look at, I mean, I couldn't even begin a lot with Pat Minotaur. Let's see. She's, um, I think she's, she's on this album too. She's on, she Unmasked. plays on, she, uh, she'll play on unmasked. Um, another member in, in spider was uh, a guy named Bo Hill who would, Bo also, Hill. who would become a producer for like rat. He did the first couple of rat. Records. Oh, okay. I think he did wingers first album. So he he becomes a kind of a, 
a player too. So He's, this band again, is pretty loaded. This band Spider. So you can see if that that could also be a a, a realistic viability at that time. Spider mm-hmm. just formed the eighties, didn't they? Well, you know, <laughs> I'm just it's they didn't, but you know, you can see that there was a you, you, you wouldn't be able to predict the future for these people at that point, right? But, you know, uh, I, I'm sure they felt pretty good about what they were doing. Is my point, and I yeah. can right. see why Anton Fig would say, ah, "I think I'm just going to sit tight." Yeah. And uh, and what's interesting though is they made Peter kind of be silent about him leaving because he still stuck around for this is jumping ahead a little bit, but for the Shandy music video. Well, he's also going to be featured on the album cover. And credited. Yeah. Um, the album is released on May 29th or ships at least that week. I don't know if that's the actual release date. I don't think that's. Yeah, I think the there's actual a ship date. Release date May 20th. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I have to tw- see. There you go. But it's yeah. okay. May. Yeah. Um, later the uh, same week is when they announce that Peter has left the group mm-hmm. and there is no U.S. tour. But we'll get to that. Let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into this, this album, track by track. Y'all want to Absolutely. Let's roll on in. It starts with the song, Is That You? Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, not written by Kiss. How no. long did it take you to uh, realize that? How long did it take? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm You know, we used to look at the credits even when we were kids, so I'm sure I knew yeah. even then. It took me a long time to realize that was a cover. Well, it's not necessarily a cover. Well, I would, don't think I don't think he had recorded it at this point. I mm-hmm. think, I don't, in fact, I don't think – I think there's a version that he recorded later that I don't even think is, been, is like – it's more like a demo. Okay. Was, was this one of those that was but just – But the guy's name sh- is Gerard McMahon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was this one of those things where the song was kind of shot to kiss to record I, you or know, something I, like that? I was, that's that's why I couldn't figure out. I don't I, know I how think, they came upon this or how, think, who brought it to them. Or I, I could see it coming up through Vinnie Poncia. I think I heard an interview, like a short thing with that guy at one point in time on YouTube. If I thought about it, I probably would have looked it back up again. Um, but I think it was honestly a thing where he was trying to be a songwriter session guy mm-hmm. and was just shopping demos around. And I think... He named someone that may have been Vinny uh, Poncia uh, that just heard it and was That's, just like, you know, that would seem logical to mm, me. Just being a producer, hearing demos and, you know, people shopping things around. Because if he wanted to be a session guy, I'm sure he was sending stuff to producers right. just to be in their back pocket. So who knows? Maybe well, that was a song a coup he sent. for him for sure. Yeah. Uh, or at least he probably thought it was going to be a coup for him. This album sales probably. Mm we're disappointing yeah. uh, but he, uh, on, on interesting note do y'all know what other song he's known for the Lost Boys yeah. uh, song right yeah Cry Little Sister mm-hmm. um, no one on and the other thing that's interesting about this song is the recording is that there's no other members of Kiss other than Paul on it yep that, this is this is the beginning of like almost every almost every song that features that person they play almost everything. Well, it kind of happens in Dynasty too here and there, doesn't it? Here and yeah, there, but, but this, this is a lot is more a lot, evident. This this shows how fragmented, how heavily fragmented the band has become. And I thought about that as I mean, well. It's almost like this. You know, like is it even the, fair to call this a band? Right. Like after the the recorded the solo albums, it's like they all became solo artists in yeah. a lot of ways. Um. The uh, bass player on this is a roadie named Tom Harper, and I believe Holly Knight also plays on this. I didn't write that down. I just have Anton and, and Paul Anton. on guitar solo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a track overall, what's y'all's take on it? It's not one of my favorites by any means. I think it's one of the uh, 
Uh, well, it's not bottom three because I catch myself singing it now that I've played it a few times this week getting ready for it. There's a lot of songs that I don't love, but I catch myself singing out loud on this record. We can mm. talk about it overall as we uh, uh, wrap it up, too. Uh, for me, I like it, and I think it suffers the fate that you talk about with Vinny's overall production. I think this is the only song that actually suffers from it because there's great guitar riffs in there, like uh, leading right up to the solo, uh, the chorus. You know, they kind of do that traditional Paul Stanley broken chord riff, mm. and I think that's awesome. It just gets buried in that production, production and I just think it could be this, a lot more beefy. This whole album seems to have this weird high sheen across mm-hmm. the top of it very and now Vinnie i see that as a positive on everything except this song i think this is the only song that suffered from that sort of production it otherwise a, i really like it the lyric kind of in the whole kind of vibe of it has kind of a raunchier vibe it seems mm-hmm. like it would have suited kiss in theory but when it put to practice it it doesn't seem to work yeah it's not a bad song um it's a little it, it, i'll tell you it's a little bit kind of at the, it, it's weird how edgy it feels for them at this point to right. use the word bitch. Right. Right. Whereas I thought about that too. 100,000 years, it just seems as natural as breathing, right? Right. That shows you just how far they've gone. It's like, ooh, he said bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whereas, on Whereas the- 100,000 years, it never even connected in your brain. Exactly. And on uh, Dynast- the Dynasty Tour, they were talking about how they couldn't have anybody curse on curse stage on, yeah, or anything like but that. But here they are, you know, and so that's kind of, that's 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 a little odd, but I will I say, think, but like- it's more odd that you just, that it feels so, you know, forbidden in mm-hmm. a weird way. Whereas, before, you know, it shows you just how far, how different they've become in the last couple of years. I will say the weakest point of the song is the solo section. It just feels a little misplaced, but I like the way they come back out of it with the falsetto vocals. You always yeah. get, and how it kind of builds back up on See, the bass, and then the guitars bust back well, in. I think that's really this, cool. This sort of sets the vibe and tone of the record, mm-hmm. yeah. and and the vibe and tone of this record seems like they're trying to go for. Uh, and, 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 and this is just me, this is my opinion, but it feels like they're going for like a, uh, you know. That that convertible, uh, you know, fast times at Ridgemont High, time, yeah, like yeah. high but, school party thing. But there's it, one it, song that totally fits those style movies. We'll talk about later on. Yeah, but there's one that really fits it, that. All of it's trying to be that kind of almost like a West Coast vibe. Yeah, but this mm. album still feels very New York night. To me. I would agree. It's I would New fully York, agree. And, and and that's where I think the great failing of this album is on on its whole overall level. But we'll 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 I guess we'll discuss that when we yeah. wrap it up. But yeah, honestly though, I do love the production on the record. I just think this is the one song that just suffers from it because I think it would suit better under a love gun or rock and roll over production. Mm-hmm. Except for that one pre-chorus like you were talking about that is by itself. That's the one That's the one part of the song where it makes me go like, oh, this song isn't so bad. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, 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 it doesn't it doesn't stretch so much as it does sort of sashay, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely uh-huh. sashays. You know, I can, you're swinging your instead of swinging its hips, it's swinging its shoulders. <laughs> yeah, does that make sense? It yes. does. It really makes sense. All right, and 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 let's go on here because it, it's not going to get better. Oh. <laughs> we get we get the song Shandy. Yes. When this, I first heard this song, I thought it was the Doobie Brothers. Really? When I was a kid. Yep. Weird. I don't th- I don't hear Doobie Brothers, but. 
I don't really hear much of anything. I can see this being like a big mainstream hit, and it's definitely tailored towards a mainstream taste. Mm-hmm. And but it's interesting because you know what the inspiration of the song was the the, the initial inspiration was the song uh, "Sherry Baby" by Bruce Springsteen. Oh. Which is nothing like this song. Yeah, at all. so I'm like, oh, <laughs> nothing like this song at all. He just, just the name alone is what where okay. he picked up on it, you know. Yeah, and this has Tom Harper on bass, Holly Knight on keyboards, Paul on lead. Oh, there you go. Again, yeah. another, another thing. Sands yeah. and anyone else member. If you listen to it now, you can start picking up on Paul's style and mm-hmm. his lead style, and you can you can start noticing, yeah, the differences here. Mm-hmm. He's got some great guitar solos on this record overall, though. Yeah, I, I think Paul is, you know, he's a serviceable lead guy. He's not mm-hmm. a flash player by any means, and I wouldn't see him as a standalone player as a lead guitar player. And no. neither does he see himself that way. But he's he's but really he good at backing up a solo. He services the song well. Mm-hmm. Um, and because especially it's not a complicated song, he doesn't need a complicated solo. No. He needs he needs harmony over it. He right. doesn't need a solo, and that's really what his that's what his style is. He more or less gives a big open harmony riff and with a little bit of flair at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. This song, I can't, I don't understand. It was a hit in Australia, but yeah. it's in other countries, but it didn't chart in America. I don't think. And no. it's, that, I'm kind of surprised because coming off of the success of I was made for loving you, I wouldn't see radio programmers being so reticent as to add in something like this because it, mm-hmm. it seems so tailored for Top oh yeah, radio. And I, I can see that. it being a popular song, and if and you know you can't help but go, what if, you know, yeah. had this been released, had it been a hit, you know. But then again, you know, back then radio programmers had a lot more independence. You know, it's not like today where everything's corporatized. You got one guy programming the entire nation. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, each each market had its own individual person programming and then yep. you know they had to pick and choose the songs thanks clear channel they could have <laughs> they could have just as easily still rejected it was rejected because kiss had become this little kitty fad yep they weren't gonna you know but had they been forced to play it if basically. they had played it who knows you know and maybe you would have seen another year or two of of the of this kiss thing extend um and honestly for me <sighs> I've gone through phases of liking and hating this song, and honestly, I put this right in the middle like I do Is That You. Again, I love this record. I like this song, but mm-hmm. if I'm having to like rate them, it really does fall in the middle for me because it's like there are really good moments. Like I like uh, when they come out of the uh, guitar solo and you've got like all the extra little effects and he's like, say goodnight. Mm. And I love Anton as a drummer and he's got this awesome yeah, little roll. offbeat yeah, 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 yeah. heading back in. So How was that again? <laughs> no, we're not happy. <laughs> we'll have a 1980s review, I'm sure. Thank you, Barry. <laughs> but um, no, so... I, those moments like that is what makes the song enjoyable. And honestly, props to Anton. I think if any other drummer was trying to play it, it probably wouldn't be as enjoyable. But he is such a good rhythmist, rhythm player. Rhythmist? Rhythmist. Is that even a word? It you is know, today. I was, yes. I, I was listening to that. I, you know, I, I found myself zeroing in on these drum tracks and, and realizing there's stuff that Anton's doing on it that if you're not really paying close attention and really you're probably not supposed to but it's pretty clever it is and and he's doing stuff that you know it's almost like 
they they didn't tell him play like Peter Chris, Mm-mm. and it's nothing that Peter could have ever, you know. And if you watch, like he's doing like this kind of off time signature on the hi hat mm-hmm. kind of thing, not off time, but it's kind of like he's a not doing weird a straight, double time. Yeah, he's not doing a straight sixteen. Yeah, thing, yeah. Which if you watch the video when Peter does it, he's just doing the straight sixteen thing, and it's yep. like you know. That's, it's almost got a shuffle to it. Yeah, and that's not to shit on Peter at it's all. It's not. He, he he's just a different. Care. He's he, a complete different type of drummer, and I think that that's part of what anchored Kiss and made their sound and that chemistry work in mm-hmm. that in its in its time. Yeah, and we're going to see how that changes as they transition to a new drummer. Um, but in the in the interim, we've got Anton, who's kind of already suggesting, you know. There's, you know, there's stuff they could be doing that they're not. Yeah, but, but honestly, it, but for me, is it I better think, for the? Is it better for the band? I don't know. I kind of put Dynasty and Unmasked kind of in their own league because of Anton. Because again, we we praised him so much with the Kiss. I mean, the Ace record because he he and Ace just have such a good groove. Well, he's shown now that he and Paul have a good groove. Well, I with mean, doing I think stuff. I think Anton's just a pro. Yeah, and yeah. is able to do it. I think it has less to do with necessarily even how he's playing is how the whole thing is produced. I mm-hmm. think the big reason why these two records stand alone off to the side from anything else they did was because of any Poncia. Yeah. And in that, and again, they both feel very New York to mm-hmm. me in a way. You and, know, I, and, and I love and what's, that. And what, again, what makes this record interesting to me is just that it, they're obviously trying to get kind of a, almost like a West coast kind of vibe off of it. You know, yeah. this summer, Kind of thing. Maybe I just associate it with summer because it came out right at the beginning of the summer. So I don't know. But I mean, I see where you're coming from on that. But I, I think I kind of relate it more to what you were talking about that they were actually doing. This almost feels like the glam of the Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, we, that, yeah, that, it's very post disco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so dance. so so I, I see where you're coming from, and it's and by saying it still feels New York, it just feels like it's almost glitzy New York. Yeah, Maybe that's not what I mean. The West it's, Coast. It's, it's very. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. they're almost they're trying, but they don't. They're still coming from where they're from. Yeah, and that's maybe that's a failing. Maybe I don't know. It's but, interesting. You take, know, though. it doesn't. It, it seems like they're trying to create a suburban pop record, mm-hmm. but they can't break free of that urban vibe does it make sense it does yeah. but i think that's what still makes it enjoyable for well, me is because I, I it has that but it I still it, has a little touch of realness whether they like it or not well, and I, I feel like <laughs> if they had just gone for it that way mm-hmm. and maybe kept a little more grit into it and it wouldn't have been so high sheen but then again it was 1980 we hogged was. this one cap what do you think <laughs> I, like, I think it's a great song i agree with uh, a lot of the points that you guys make i think it's a little too uh the, the recording of it is very shimmery and a little uh, schmaltzy but i still think it's a great song I mean, this is true of the whole album, though. Yeah. Um, following now, Talk to Me. Yes. One of the three Ace songs on the album. Three songs on this album. Yeah. The the highest showing yet for Ace Fraley. And he's going to come out of this going, they just wouldn't give me enough room. I know. Uh, Dude. Pay attention, Ace. You got three fucking songs on this goddamn album. <laughs> yeah. And, and none of them are particularly good, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and this is another one. Anton on drums, but Ace on bass and Ace, guitars. This is Ace's. Yeah, Ace is giving a lot of freedom I, my, on this. My notes here say uh, Anton on drums, Ace Fraley on bass, and Lead Trout. Lead Trout. <laughs> <laughs> I'd argue that this is the most classic Kiss sounding track on the record. Really? Yep. Yeah, interesting. I, I wouldn't. 
as far as like the grit yeah. that we're looking for on this record. And Maybe, honestly, but it's a very pop song. It, it is, but and I've been, I've been prepping for this episode ever since we finished the Dynasty. Like, mm-hmm. e- like even for like the Dynasty tour, I was already kind of prepping for this episode. Mm-hmm. I forgot how good that A solo is. Like the uh, come like his, he kind of does the Paul thing. He starts with the mm-hmm. harmony mm-hmm. and it just kind of walks it down. Right. That has to be in probably my top three favorite Ace solos. Like take the song out of it, he just does such a great job on that song. Well, it services the song. He's not mm-hmm. he's not overplaying. I mean, Ace was never one to overplay anyway. But yeah, it, but no, I, it, I love shows, that solo. I, I I think you know I think Ace is. Is, is a lot more talented than he lets on, but it seems like sometimes, like a song like this, it's it's a good song, but it's not a great song. I think it's the best of the three. It's, I agree it, with that. And it's oddly an innocent song, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like the lyrics, I actually used the lyrics recently just because mm-hmm. I like it. It's, it's just very, like it's, it's, it's it's very almost it's almost very sweet. You, you know? know what it reminds me of? Mm. Power pop songs. Well, yeah, and I was going to say that was kind of a that was in vogue at that point. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know how much of an influence that might have had at that for them. I, I, you know, who's to say? Because it oddly worked. Like I had just a random mix of like just different power pop things, and then I moved. I was like, oh yeah, shit, I got to do. I, I want to listen to this album again to get more familiar with it. And it's like, and I just clicked talk to me first, and it's like all of a sudden it's like I heard the guitar riff, and I heard it. It was like it almost kind of had hear me out i played them back to back it works it almost has a jangly tom petty vibe that yeah. oh yeah I can, I can kind of hear that. and i was like oh shit and then it's like even the drums kind of had that steady kick mm-hmm. almost kind of vibe to it and i was like the bass doom 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 and it's like all of a sudden i heard it as a power pop late 70s song i was like wow this maybe ace really was trying to go for that sound well it wouldn't surprise me i mean I don't think I, you know, I don't. Ace was a guitar player, but I don't think he was ever really into guitar rock as much as um, more kind of standard pop kind of thing. Because we even see it a little bit on his record with "What's on Your Mind." Well, yeah, and you know, and I'm also thinking ahead of the curve when you think about what his. I don't know if y'all ever heard any of the demo stuff he was doing prior to doing his Fraley's Comet thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of keyboard-driven stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot but, of electronic drums. You know, yeah, I don't... I, but it's hard to say. I don't... You know, who who knows where Ace it's is fun to speculate. at any given moment. Um, so, what's your take on it? Uh, it's my <laughs> it's my favorite uh, Ace track on the yeah, album. Oh, yeah, you said that. You and said uh, that. like um, I was saying earlier, it's like the... Uh, the hardest sounding uh, song on the record, you know, for that gritty kiss sound that we're all familiar with and love that we're looking for on this. Uh, this is the song that has it more than the rest. I'd say it's in my top three for the record too. Mine too. You know, it's funny you say that about Power Pop. I got that written down later for another one of the tracks. I, I agree. It's influenced by the skinny tie Power Pop of the era. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, so, I, know, I think yeah, I know where yeah, we're going we're with about, that one too. About, so, but we'll get may, we, um, maybe this is a weird lost like like it got mixed in with the disco, but maybe it was meant to be the Kiss Power well, Pop I think record. That, well, I think they. It's just that they, again, they're so fragmented. They're coming in from different directions, mm-hmm. and then the production has to tie it together somehow. Right. And I think that's part of the failure of this record is that there's no cohesion. No. Uh, and and to illustrate that point, let's go to the next song, Naked yep. City. Yeah. This, where it completely breaks away from the mold almost, except for like the verses. Right. Um, a I lot like more the, of a dark, darker feeling song. This this definitely retains a New York thing. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, you know, 
Uh, what's interesting though, you got three additional collaborators. Yeah, we got Pepe Castro of the Psych Garage Group Blues Magoos. <laughs> That's a name. <laughs> well, the Blues Magoos had some hits in the late '60s. They did a cover of Tobacco Road. Blues Magoos Weekend too. <laughs> and then they had a song called "We Ain't Got Nothing Yet," which, if you heard it, you'll know it. Okay. It used to be a standard on oldies radio, and and it's it was a big hit in the late '60s. I'll have to look that up after uh, and, this. And uh, what's interesting about that song, and I, and I don't know why this didn't connect with me prior. If you listen to that, there is a there is a coming out of the chorus. There's this break where they do this descending guitar line, and it's identical. Really identical to the Love Gun Lee break. Oh, at the end really? Of Love Gun. Oh, huh? Yeah. Very similar, anyway, and I don't know how one if one calls to the other or not. It's yeah. just interesting. <laughs> I, and and now here you've got uh, Bob Pepe Kulik. Castro actually, you know, collaborating. Um, but I don't think Ace plays on this track. No, no. Bob Kulik uh, is so. credited as a uh, co-writer. But Pepe Castro had also been in the band Balance that we talked about. Opened on the Dynasty tour a few dates on the Dynasty tour. So I've made a connection. He he ends up popping up. Here and there, I think in future Kiss, I, the I, Kiss know, I know the name. I'm pretty so sure, I'm sure he, I think he participated with some Ace songwriting credits in the future, but I, we'll get to that. Um, uh, you know what? I got three additional. I didn't write down who the other collaborator is on this. Oh, I was saying it was Bob Kulik. Bob Kulik, yeah. And honestly, for who probably plays guitar probably on the, the track. lead on it, yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't know it, the song overall. I'll, I do like it, but it does seem very different than the rest of the song so far. Does it's, that make sense? It's, it's you know, it's funny because for all the kind of, we just talked about the innocence of Talk To Me lyrically and stuff. It's almost like a, a good teenage pop song. Naked City is more of an adult song. Because mm-hmm. it's Gene you Simmons know, being a creep Gene, like he always well, is. No, well, no. <laughs> she kind of, he, you know what? He spins it in this one. It's older women with younger men. Oh, uh, okay. As opposed to, you know. When I saw you coming out of school, I swear when I sing this song, when I was catching myself singing this song out loud, I was uh, caught myself singing X-ray eyes along with it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it has a generic. There's a generic quality that you can see the two blending together. You know, and sometimes it kind of feels like they're not even trying. And uh, let's go into the next song for that. What makes the world go round? This is not good. (laughs) <laughs> I just think this. I can remember, I can remember reading a, 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 a an article in the mid '80s written by a girl who had been a big fan of Kiss in the '70s and then missed out on the '80s stuff, and so she went back and wrote these little capsule, you know, capsule reviews of all the albums from post 1979, and she said that, that she 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 said this went from like I forget. One of the words she used was boring, mm. and I think she used this song as the reference point. It's like <laughs> there's this isn't this song is just is this is the most mediocre song See, on the it's it, it really is it's just not good. I don't hate the song, but I picture in my head Paul Stanley in that elder costume with the headband on a tread <laughs> tread on a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> You're, I love your imagination. I have never seen just that like, just, one. Just like eighties cheesiness. It's just me. Yeah, it's what I wrote. Mediocre dance pop. Yeah. It's like it's not no. even catchy enough to really be a good pop song. 
And, and it's, it's unfortunate like, because the guitar nerd in me loves the guitar riff. I, you know what? I, I, it's not the riff. There's a he does the lead in it, and he does this little descending thing. Yeah. That I think they put some sort of delay on or mm-hmm. whatever. That's the only part of the song that seems to have any kind yeah, of. Yeah, and that's why I said the guitar cool, nerd in me is because that, I, I have to agree with you guys, even though I do like the song. I do like it. I do have to agree that it is just it's very generic, mediocre. But then what makes me like it though is the guitar nerd in me going, "It's like oh, but it's such a cool little riff." And it's, uh, da, 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 da. Just, but no, I agree. Even though I love it, I have to agree. Just that minor uh, key shift on the chords, and I found out. Uh, and, see, and, and, I th- and again, one thing we've not mentioned. Paul is killing the vocals on this record. Like even during Shandy, like his his vocal tone is great all throughout this. So it's like that's another thing that really saves it as Paul is really finding his falsetto, he's finding his baritone, he's really finding it a lot more and exploiting it more. He's coming out of that sassy uh, rock and roll uh Paul that's, Stanley. That's all well and good, but he didn't write a good song here. This is no, not, I'm just saying. This isn't even a good I mean this isn't even a good I just this not a good song, <laughs> but in contrast, the next song. Oh, to okay. side two. Yeah, this is the standout track on the album, in my opinion. Yeah, and I can't believe this wasn't a hit. And that's the song tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I don't. And it doesn't even this. Okay, the contrast. It's like it's almost like he's working, trying to make what makes the world go around work. But tomorrow just felt like it was effortless. Yeah, yeah. it's and such it, a, and it has beats of what makes the world go round, but better. It's it's not it's not trying to be intelligent. It's not trying to be anything of what it is, which is a really catchy song. Yeah, um, I, every time I hear this, I just keep coming back to it. I'm just like, you know, it's good. This is a great song. I could see this being a big hit if it were in the hands of. You know, someone like Sammy Hagar or Rick Springfield. Yeah, yeah. but I think because it was Kiss. But it was Kiss, so they, you know, again, radio wasn't going to touch it. Yeah, because the fab was over, and it was you know the the, the kitty makeup band. And since I don't have to uh, defend this song as much, I can actually talk about the minutia of it. Uh, <laughs> my favorite damn part of that. Guess what the best part of that song is? That it only happens once. What with the part where he says, "I didn't know what to say," and it just goes. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes that is my favorite fucking part Sorry, he doesn't even bother with a lyric there that's great i love it i love it <laughs> it's so clever i like it i like it a lot too another uh one thing we haven't touched on really is that how uh vinnie poncia has songwriting credits on a good chunk of the songs on this album well this yeah. is basically a vinnie poncia record there's every every song on this is a co-write every single one i think except maybe aces mm-hmm. yeah but no i exactly what you guys said though no I, this is actually my favorite on the record that uh, you talked about top threes this is my number one i can't I, believe that this radio didn't pick up on this because this could have been i can hear this as being a big radio hit for this uh, a big summertime hit mm-hmm. I, f- I feel that way about that one the same way i feel about tomorrow and tonight but I'm i feel also, like both of those songs are lost gems I, but i'm also speaking i can remember the summer this album came out and i could have I, I just I, it's still you know knowing what was popular in that moment and what was else being played on the radio you know it was it just seemed like just like perfectly Duh. T- tailored for it. it it's like it, yeah you wouldn't even have to think about it and it's like the only reason why this wasn't you know readily accepted was because people were just so turned off on the kiss thing they yeah had, they had 
they had just overkilled everything, which is a shame. It worked to their disadvantage. But I think this is the other Lost Power Pop song. Oh, this is, this, again, like doubt. I said, I think this is the standout track on this album. Um, two Sides of the Coin. Another kind of... Another all these songs rock. are really poppy. Yeah. And this one's fun. It's just, to me, a little bit more forgettable than Talk to Me. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not super. I'm not super fond of any of these A songs. Interestingly enough, how much right. I love the A solo album, mm-hmm. but to me, it's like. Um, well, you didn't like 2000 Man either. <laughs> well, I didn't like the cover of it, but I mean, I, I like it. Okay, I just I mean, like it's almost like. I don't know. Uh, he's trying, but it's just not hitting not hitting yeah it's kind of utterly uh it's not forgettable but it's kind of myth to me too there's a lot of songs on side two of this record that don't you know that aren't super memorable for me and another song in which he doesn't really solo because because yeah. he says choose one and then it's oh, all yeah, harmony yeah yeah, yeah yeah but you know and then that, it's that, a drum solo that middle part there yeah and it's got the big fills in it that's mm-hmm. the part of the song that sticks out for me is that little uh drum part that uh anton does and again, I, I think he's the kind of silent hero in this whole record. I think he ties it together and makes it fun and enjoyable. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> a member of KISS, not even an official member of KISS, is tying it all together and making it enjoyable. That just shows how uh, creative Ace and uh, Anton were when they got in the room together, too. Well, I wonder how much of that is Vinnie Poncia, too, because that feels like a Vinnie move. Hard to say. I don't know. I, I would think that they probably came in pretty fully developed and didn't take much to to you know whittle down yeah um she's so european this one's all right to me like i don't hate this song either but uh it's it's a it's a fine gene simmons song for this record it's probably think, my, it's probably think, my favorite gene song on this album of, quite frankly of, out of these two albums which we've already said kind of are standalone albums in, mm-hmm. the, in the kiss canon this is my favorite Gene song of the two. Yeah. No, I would agree. And honestly, um, we kind of talked about it on the uh, Something Good For You episode of the Kiss Cruise. But uh, <laughs> seeing them attempting to play this live, honestly, it was fun. It works in a live setting. like Because I don't think they said they've ever played it live before or something like that. Like That was the very first time that song's been pulled out. Yeah. And yet, in a, in a room with everyone that actually knew it and everything else, it actually really did work if, if Gene just had not rushed the verses. That's all I picture now whenever <laughs> I hear this song. It's, it's, you know, and it's cynical, but it's clever in its cynicism. I think, um, you know, and this feels a little more not adult, but you know, you can. It, it's like there seems to be an acknowledgement that their fan base has gotten younger, and now they're trying to write these more sophisticated, quote unquote, kind of mm-hmm. songs. You know, and you wait know, till the next record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, just the whole idea of like it's still it's still sleazy Gene though. It's like you know. What's he say about her her age? There's a point. There's something about, you know, she makes love on a brass bed because her parents are still away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I will say, I like all the keys in the song, like where the solo's supposed to be, and it kind of does like that fuzzy Korg kind of keyboard bit. It's pretty cool. But one of the changes on some of this, too, is that as far as the lyric goes, is, you know, the power has, the power structure has shifted from, from the Gene persona to the girl herself. Mm. 
you know, she's the one that's controlling. You know, she's the one that's manipulating. She's the, you know, it's all. And we would see that in his songwriting is, a little bit like later. This is almost like Gene's, Gene's kind of uh, answer to feminism. Gene, right. the feminist, the feminist icon, Gene Simmons. Yes. Well, I mean, we, not, not a. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and not that it's a good song, but we do later see that sort of songwriting style in Domino. Yeah, I guess I we'll have to we'll have to get to that. <laughs> That's a loaded song itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so easy as it seems. Uh, apparently, it isn't. No, no. <laughs> my my least favorite Paul song this, on the record. This song is as equally bad as what makes the girl makes the world go round. <laughs> nah, I like, like what makes the world go round. I was gonna so say I, I like that one a little better. This is this is yeah maybe. Yeah, this this is like a throwaway. At, at least with what makes the world go around, you can sit here and imagine like Studio Fifty Four found out. Yeah, like you I can guess. imagine, you can't imagine anything uh, man, during you this. You know, every song. time I hear this song, I instantly forget it. There's nothing that stands out on it. There's nothing Same that here. comes out to me. I just, I don't, I just. And, and I really do like this record. This is my least favorite. No, I can't. This is usually the one I skip, and that's amazing considering the next song too. But we'll get to that one I also. <laughs> I mean, there's really nothing else to say about this, so let's just keep it going. <laughs> okay, well, Torpedo Girl. Um, see, I was. Ha- is this uh, Rocket Ride Redux? <laughs> <laughs> Badly. <laughs> I was uh, playing this album uh, last night at my, at my girlfriend's house, and she's she was a good sport about everything. She's like, "Keep playing all the Kiss songs. Keep playing the Kiss songs." I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Torpedo co- Girl comes on and she's like this okay, is what stop, y'all are talking about stop, tomorrow stop playing the kiss yeah. <laughs> I'm like I know it's bad it's 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 a would-be funk rock song yeah <laughs> it's he's, he's you know it's got the funky bass line but it doesn't really have the feel and it's of an funk. ace bass line oh, there's yeah. no yeah. one else other than ace that could have thought of that well, at the time I mean I guess maybe Gene could have but you know but I'll tell you what we'll go back to this again uh, and go back and listen to it again and give it another whirly whirl and listen to the drum track, especially towards the end. Oh, yeah. And you got the double kick, which is a you know an unusual signature because Peter never used double kick. Mm-hmm. Nope. And it's just the drumming on this really puts it over. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's actually, I guess it's, it's, it's clear. It's the best of the three A songs in my opinion. Really? Yeah. I, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. that same, it's my least favorite, but it's like, as much as I've been goofing on it, I hadn't said once that I hated it or I disliked it. It's just a silly, forgettable song, but I don't know. And, and I guess this, this is where nostalgia lenses come in. Mm. I remember listening to this record a lot. Like when we first got the CD, and I had to have been, you know, pretty young at the time. It was mom got this one pretty early on when we were rebuying the CDs of the remasters. And I don't know, just something about the song attracted the kid in me. It almost sounded like a cartoon theme song. Like even the guitar, you know, with the way it had like the different little walk downs and stuff. And it on the surface. Sounds like a very innocent song. Thought I'd go right. out for a take right. a swim today. You know, and it's just, so you you would think you know that is pretty right. as they it, get a, older this, and you're like, is, oh, this is some dumb Spinal Tap lyrics. Okay, it is. Yeah. <laughs> no question about it. I mean, this is a lyrically lazy song. Very, but you can hear though musically. You talk about that kind of what you felt was innocent. I, you know, I, people might say I'm crazy for thinking this, but I can hear weaving in. Kind of a almost like Beach Boy kind of idea. It's like yeah. you, you know he's he's 
torpedo girl he's already thinking surf you know even mm-hmm. though you know where you, who you gonna go surfing in the east river i don't know yeah <laughs> but you know it's, it's 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 just it's there i feel it but you know and there's the harmonies in it and mm-hmm. all that but still it's anchored by this really great drum track yeah and he's not you know and one thing about anton it's like it's not like uh, uh they're not going for like a led zeppelin bottom heavy blah 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 which is what they would uh, everyone tries to do right you know, which is whatever we'll get into that but yeah <laughs> you know it's very tight it and it and, it, and, it, and it's very punchy and it punctuates everything perfectly doesn't overstep it it doesn't but it really it's still a clever you know and not just standard drum beats yeah it, it makes it it's just interesting it's it's and it's not like complex and like you know a rush kind of way where you right. need to sit there with your pipe and your wine and your cheese and, and your <laughs> like <whatever>. me <laughs> <laughs> but uh then it, this album closes out with you're all that i want um uh, this song has grown on me over time you know uh we have the hindsight now of hearing have having since heard the demos for this stuff and i think the demo for this works better than the it actual does, finished because it starts with the acoustic it, and everything and, else and it has a much more out. of a and i think it was intentional that beetly feel and mm-hmm. that's you know gene getting off on his beatles nut and and, he here they, and it's odd for me that they've scrubbed all this off and I've got my notes I've wrote this scrubs all the beetle off or a dullness that defies the potential of the song. Yeah. Because the song is better than this recording is. Mm-hmm. You and know, he plays all a, the rhythm guitars does on he? it too. Yeah. yeah. It's just the uh, I can hear that. I can hear that now mm-hmm. you say that. I, you know, but it just seems like that the way the demo worked, it was more of a ballad, it had more beetly feel. And I think if they had just pulled that out more and retained that more. Yeah. Then I think it would have. I think the song really would have worked oh, in yeah. a much better way. And but Paul does the lead on it too, so it's like you've already got his, you know, Paul Stanleyism harmonies kind of thing rolling with it. The two of them working together for a Beatles esque song right. it, it, is kind I of mean, hard to fail. You know, They've had so much success with it in the past. It's hard to fail, but they do. Yeah, <laughs> a and, little and, bit. And and Vinnie Poncia had the fever. <laughs> and you know what that fever was for. <laughs> More cowbell. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which you get. Oh yes. And Gene, I, and I like that. I like it a lot. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, they made it more of a hard rock song and took the beat a lot of it. What were you going to say? I was going to say that uh, Gene's bass tones. Uh, the, I love the bass tone on this and all the uh, bass tones that Gene has all over the record. I thought they sounded really good, particularly in uh, Naked City. Oh, yeah, and that's where it kind of goes back to where I say I love the production on this whole record. I just think the only song that kind of suffers from the production is Is That You. What do you guys think of this as the closing song? Because we kind of discussed that, too, as like the the song that, you know, is this a good opener? You know, well, is this also a good closer? We talk about side, too, about how there's a lot of tracks that we don't particularly care for. So it's just... It's just the whole side two just kind of feels just a little it's, out of sorts in a lot of ways yeah, anyway. I, I think it would have worked better if they had Tomorrow as the end song. I think so. You know, you're kind of right more on that. Yeah. It would, you know, this is almost a melancholic kind of yeah. fade off into the... Or if they had done the original demo version, that would have been a good maybe ending. Maybe it would still could have worked, mm-hmm. but this doesn't, this doesn't work for me. I think, and again, it's not fair because now I've heard the demo and I hear how much, and even the demo isn't... It's not... Reached, it doesn't yeah. have full potential, but it, you hear the potential. You yeah. hear what and, it could have been. And it's still been. not a fantastic song. It just could have been better it than been what it better. was. 
was. Yeah. So overall, this whole album, what do y'all think? I have a weird affection for this record, man. I don't know why. Like even like while we were kind of discussing it, you know, and I had to be, you know, kind of critical over some parts of it that are very genuine. I don't know. I still go back to this record and listen to it almost front to back often. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just something about it that always draws me back in that I just really enjoy for all the cheesiness aside, all the, you know, everyone just playing on their songs and no one else's, you know, it almost being individual solo record songs, so to speak. I don't know. Something just always, I always liked it. As a fan, it's very, it's a very interesting album and there's some great songs on there. And I think the, uh, mystique and the knowledge of all all the moving parts and who all is playing on what song kind of uh makes it more interesting than the quality of the record itself and uh and i've grown to like vinnie poncia's studio uh production work over the years too or at least with these two records and uh there was a point where i didn't care for this era of kiss at all but i don't know with uh you know us going through uh the knowledge and the backstory of all this it adds it adds to it I think yeah, you make a good point. I think for what you know, for what they're trying to achieve, they achieve it, and that's uh, largely on the on the credit of Vinnie Poncia. Yeah, uh, you know, I think he's done a really good job with both these records. It's a lot stronger than I think people want to give it credit for because it really it just gets lost in the shuffle because it's more of a pop album, and you're judging it. You're not judging it against the other. You know, so-called pop music of its time. You're judging, you're judging it, against it against Dynasty. You're judging it against all of Kiss. Yeah. You're judging yeah. it. You know, they're like Kiss is no longer Kiss at this point. Which again, we've talked about that, and they're not trying to be. Yeah. If somebody. But then again, maybe they are just being Kiss. Maybe this is where they were always going to be headed anyway. Yeah. You know. But then that you know it suggests that maybe they never had any integrity to begin with, which would of course only give more credence to their critics. You know. And a lot of KISS fans got turned off by this in a big way, which obviously, you know, history has shown to be true. Yeah. And, and, you know, this isn't rock and roll over by any stretch of the imagination. No, and it's hard to believe that this is even the same band. But really, it's so fragmented at this point, it can't be the same band. And they're all kind of uh, riding on their own success and their mm-hmm. own egos and it's like and we've still got plenty to talk on this episode but that becomes even more evident i would say on the next record well the next record of things yeah. that really yeah, left field mm-hmm. um it's got an interesting cover it's a comic strip cover and it's illustrated by a guy named uh victor staben i guess is how you pronounce it and the uh poster that's on the inside is one of the panels reproduced mm-hmm. but there is a notable difference between the cover and the poster. Yes, because the uh, the panel that's reproduced as the poster is the the big final shot at the very bottom because the the panels where they're, where they're unmasking. Yes, because the unquote. panels show this photographer paparazzi right, dude he's trying to catch them without their makeup. Yeah, and yeah, and they keep thwarting it yeah. in every direction. They're finally like, okay, fine, we'll show you our faces, and it's like they take off what looks like uh, masquerade masks. Yeah, and underneath is like the makeup it's and still all that. Kiss. Right. Yeah, so so that panel is reproduced as the poster right but do you know what the difference is between the two i know what it is do you count i do not so on one of them on the uh the album cover everyone is just looking straight forward it's kind of uh you you can actually find the photos they reference for that uh album cover uh but peter's just looking straight forward you know in the comic panel on the poster he's winking 
Oh, okay. So they point that out here in the notes too. So I didn't know if that was what you were going to refer yeah. to. He's winking. It's uh, it's this supposed is, to be a weird is, nod. Paul, this is this is Peter's wink that you that know he's out the door. I'm out the door. Yeah. Um, this album peaks at 35, which is the lowest peak position of any Kiss album since Hotter Than Hell, and it's it sells. It gets gold. It hits five hundred thousand, but I think it stalls out at about seven hundred fifty thousand. So it doesn't quite make platinum. So I mean, you know, it's a modest success. But they find a new market or but, capitalize on a new market. Well, they're getting ready to. But in the process of this, we of course we get a new drummer before they can go tour. They've got to replace Peter. So they put out, you know, I guess word that they're auditioning drummers. Uh, I think. I saw names that there were people that were interested that they they just dismissed out of hand, like Carmine Apiece. And mm-hmm. I want to say there was another one whose name I can't remember now. It was surprising to me. And I was like, that can't be right. And I want to say it was um, not... not um, See. Oh God, I'm having a. I'm getting. I have Alzheimer's. I'm, I'm convinced. <laughs> Old timers. Um, Cozy Powell. Okay. And I'm not 100. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I've read that somewhere. I was like, that seems kind of like odd. I don't know. He's, he had that. He had that swing though. He had that hard hitting swing. Right, but yeah. But the, I mean, they didn't want anyone that was established or known because they needed to develop a new identity. Which is this is an awkward spot for them to be in because, like we said, how do you replace Ringo Starr? How do you replace Peter Chris? Yeah. And the deal is, is they're just gonna do it. And there's no, you know, there's nowhere else to go with it. So, you know, they have to hire somebody. Uh, speaking and, of, I've got a list of uh, folks that uh, who have been rumored to or okay. have actually uh, auditioned. We have names that include Charlie Benanti from Anthrax. We have uh, Barry Brandt from Angel, uh, Casablanca yeah. uh, label mates. We have uh, Chuck Billings from Virgin that Gene Simmons produced. So there's uh-huh. a lot of guys that were like in the circle and everything. We have Hirsch Gardner from New England that we mentioned on a on another episode and uh, Carmine, like you mentioned. We have uh, Richie Fontana who was in Billy Squire's mm, band. That's the other he, name he I really in, remember. Was he in Stars too? He uh, play, I think so. He, he, plays on, of, he plays on. I think he plays on Peter's solo record. I or think not, so. Not Peter's. Uh, He's, he's on one of the solo records. Paul yeah. And this is the probably the one of the more outlandish claims, but Ringo Starr is on this list. <laughs> they may have wanted. I don't think he right. ever reached that on any level. That's like the only one that's like the superstar name out of this list, other than Tico Torres from Bon Jovi, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, they hire a guy named Paul Caravello. Yep, lonely stove cleaner. Yeah, he interviews with Bill Coyne on June nineteenth, and they then he auditions on June twenty third, and he gets a callback audition on June twenty seventh. Now that's that's June twenty seventh. Now, and then he gets hired, and he's hired. This is important to note: he's not hired as an equal member of the band. He's a salaried employee. Yep. And Kiss's new contract that they that Howard Marks has renegotiated is for Kiss is defined as Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and Ace Fraley. Yep. So he's never going to be a true quote unquote member of Kiss, which will always stand his work. Yeah, yeah. It's just on yeah. But you know, it's still uh, um, it's this has got to be a big deal for you know an unknown guy from New York. Um, 
I still love the uh, the story that Gene and Paul tell often, uh, which is during um, his first tryout. He didn't think he was going to get the call back. Anything, you know, he was just like he's wanting to try out. And at the very end of it, he asked them all for the autographs on a record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he was just like, and they're like, "Really? I mean, you just you just hung out with us for the whole day." And they're, he's just like, "Yeah, but well, I'm probably never going to see you guys again." Yeah, yeah basically, but yeah. but was still just it still had like they said just that sweet boyish charm that was just like you know he would actually be kind of a a breath of fresh air in the band. It would be nice to have someone that's kind of happy and joyful around, <laughs> which is gonna... how everyone always referred to Eric. So it's not going to threaten to quit the band every five days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they hire him. And now they've got to determine what's his character going to be. And so they seize upon the idea of a hawk. The hawk. And, of course, much has been made of this incredibly corny-looking mm-hmm. suit they make that looks like a big bird suit. He looks like an orange big bird. Yeah. It's like... It's bad. It's there, there's, like, photos that, like, I think a coin, like, later released or something, like, Polaroids of it, and it's, it's bad. And to his own credit, he develops the fox yes, persona. because that was a Gene and Paul management thing. They're like, you'll just be the hawk. Yeah. They, and, but, like, I think it was, like, I think it was, like, a few hours before a photo shoot. I don't... Yeah, I, there's I, a lot the, of different the, stories about this. The, the story I know is, like, it's either a few hours before a photo shoot or a show or something, but he, it was, like, at the zero hour. He comes up with the fox. And they just, like, retailer a suit. Like, they just, like, run around the house or, like, different stores, pick up different pieces and just, like, piecemeal something together and well, just, like, get it done at the zero hour. Yeah. And, 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 think he, they, and he gets his debut on July 25th at the Palladium in New York. No. Yep. Before we get to that, just think about that. He's his his callback edition was on June twenty seventh, and somewhere between June twenty, probably that same week, he gets hired. But still, that's a very short period of time. You've got one month, yeah, to get your shit together, to learn a set, to have your character in play, blah blah blah. I mean, that's a lot of stuff that you know you're throwing on this. You know, this he's new kid. A, a, yeah, he's not a he's not a kid. He's thirty years old. Oh, yeah. 30, 31 years old. So he's already had, you know, he had a, a few history. Bands. I yeah. mean, he's the same okay. age as the other guys. It's still just no that, pressure, right? Yeah, it's well. I mean, yeah, the pressure's still thrown on in the deep end, and, and they they pull it together. Mm-hmm. And, and his name is Erica, yeah. and he's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they they've been doing the uh, they've been doing their rehearsals for their upcoming. European tour, the one that was postponed. Yeah. And they decide to put, and since they're in there anyway, the Academy of Music. This is the old, um, well, I said Academy of Music. It's the Palladium now. It used to be the Academy of Music. This is the same venue that they did their big, you know, quote unquote, debut show as a signed act for Casablanca when they opened for Iggy and the Stooges and Blue Oyster Cult. Mm-hmm. So okay. this is the same, same venue. Uh, but you know, there's still this is the only show they do in America this year. Yep, it's a theater that holds roughly 3,500 people. They they have additional shows kind of blocked out dates. You know, for this, just you know, we'll do multiple shows here. But Ron Delsner, who's the big promoter in New York, doesn't feel the ticket sales are going strong enough, and they don't do more than just the one show, 3,500 people. Well, damn. You know, and I mean, think about it. One year to the day, one year to the day before, 
they were headlining Madison Square, Square Garden, Garden. Yeah. Yeah. for a two-night stand. It's all, it's two those... back-to-back sold-out nights at Madison Square Garden a year later. They struggled to, to sell out 3,500 seats it's at one the Palladium. Of those, my, how the mighty have fallen scenarios. How, how anyone didn't see this as being like a huge red flag. And and to even further your point, this while is kind of kind of indebted in this website because I ran across this too. They even promote it. Yes. In the only 1980 yeah. U.S. performance of Kiss in concert. So they weren't even like, people weren't even kind of looking at it going, oh, we might kind of catch them later. They promoted they know, this as yeah. like, if the, you want to catch Kiss this year, this is your only chance. Well, that kind of hype could also have been read two ways, though. There could be, oh, that's bullshit. They'll be playing this year. But you don't like know that. They announce a farewell but, tour. You know, uh, two days I mean, later, it was sold out, though. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. But they, like I said, the sales were sluggish. Yeah. And they didn't put additional dates up. Nope. Um, j- two days later, July 27th, they, they tape an episode of a TV show called Kids Are People 2. Mm-hmm. I thought that show was syndicated. Apparently, it was on ABC. But... Um, you know, I have a vague memory of it being on, but it, they showed it like where I lived when I was a kid. That came on at like six thirty a.m. on a Sunday morning or something. Now, and how, okay. they never showed that. I don't remember seeing this. Now, how was oh, okay? I was going to ask uh, how your reception was for uh, Eric Carr and the band. We'll see. Now we didn't see him. Uh, I'll get to this in a minute. But right now, like this this thing here, this kids are people too. This is the introduction of Eric Carr for the you know their national introduction on mm-hmm. this kids show yeah i didn't see that uh, <laughs> but on august 18th uh people magazine uh issue comes out with kiss on the cover and that's where we first got our first good and i remember look that photo too yeah of what eric Carr looked like and that was a big thing for us so the reception for us was good you know and that that was here's where the thing with eric Carr worked i think for kiss fans even though their their popularity had been in decline Mm -hmm. for the diehard fans that were still there and they they really seemed to readily accept them and i think part of it was because there was sort of a vicarious thrill of seeing what you would perceive as one of us making it and it, yeah. wow what if that happened to you it was kind of right. like wow wouldn't it be how cool is this this guy got to gets to be in kiss and the thing co- is is contrary to so what kind of gene and paul, well mainly paul kind of throw at it later i liked his persona i liked the fox i thought the makeup looked good i thought it was a decent costume it i it, agree it wasn't bad so this answers the quandary about how do you replace peter chris and this is the best possible scenario that you could ever hope to have happen. Yep. You have a guy, he's unknown, he, he's able to come up with a clever persona that, you know, it's organic. It's it's like it's like in pro wrestling, where the best pro wrestling gimmicks are always when you just take something that's of that person and yep. amplify it times mm-hmm. 10. You know, when you, when you assign a character to a guy, it doesn't ever work quite the same way. And it's like he had huge hair, bigger than Paul's even. So it's like it worked for just that kind of big, bushy persona. I guess everything, I mean, it just worked. And the fans accepted it. Like I said, I think there was a vicariousness mm-hmm. to it. And and so he was he was very readily accepted. Um, and if you watch him play, he's just crushing it. Yeah, but well, you know, we'll. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we could talk about this now, but I, I don't want to eat up more showtime talking about it. But you know, is he really the right drummer for Kiss? Well, well, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, I'd say that goes because he's I, a very different drummer from Peter Chris. Very yeah, sure. different. And when you alter that 
that formula that strongly, you're going to get a very different kind of band. Um, and actually, in between um, all the his debut show and then that uh, magazine coming out, they also had a uh, a canceled Mexican tour uh, because they couldn't get the permits. Right. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that that fell through, and so but they have this or excuse me European tour from basically. I've got it August 29th through October 16th. Is that right? So that's yeah. really the late summer. And that's early still technically fall. included as the Dynasty Tour. Like, this isn't even labeled the Unmasked Tour yet. It was, it, see, it was, it was supposed to be part of an extension. It was supposed to be the, the European un- leg of the Dynasty Tour, but it mm-hmm. becomes the first part of the, what would be un, yeah, Unmasked. Yeah, technically, when they get to uh, Italy, you and, know, the, uh, that's uh, when it starts up the um, Unmasked Tour. Projected gross for this tour is zero. <laughs> and the projected loss is a half million dollars. God. Because they cannot not be KISS. You know, let's not take the flying rig. That takes two trucks of its own just to care. Nope, got to have it. Yeah. Um, and in September 1st is when they filmed that uh, infamous. Rock pop lip sync. Yep. I yep. had the same thing. She's so European and talked to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, wasn't that the same day that they were filming all the Kisteria stuff for uh, news? And that's when uh, you've got the Ace going, "Look, it's rock and oh, roll." I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't because I think because I know that was during this tour, and that's where they're just trying to get them to do the. Uh, hey, this is Gene Simmons right, of Kiss, right. and I'd like to introduce you yeah. to. Well, what's interesting about this rock pop thing is if you watch it, the crowd looks supremely unimpressed. <laughs> <laughs> Any crowd shots, and they're all just sort of sitting there, like with this smug look, like. What the hell? <laughs> this is this is some dumb shit. So you know, uh, I think that's also showing that the, the cracks are very deep. Um, yeah, I've got some notable, or at least one notable date on the European tour is in Milano, Italy, when political activists protest the show by kind of invading the crowd and basically storming the stage and forcing the band off stage. Uh, there's a lot of different stories about this. It's kind of a well-known story where they get chased down through the corridors of the of I guess there's like a I don't know if it's like underground or what. Yeah, but it, it, they have weird like kind of underground weird. walking systems. Yeah, and, and and they get you know locked into a dressing room and you know different people. I've heard different variations of the story. You know, they tell the story like uh, we were you know, they were going to kill us. Yeah, you know, and they were they probably felt like that. They were mm. very terrified. But then I hear stories from like their uh, costumer Pixie Esmon. Uh, kind of mocking them for being so scared. <laughs> you know, and, but it also wasn't like, her and, life and that, in danger. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. true. But, you know, but apparently like the road crew kind of put it in additional security, put it all hefty, you know, put it in hand pretty quick. Right. But it was only like 12 or 20 of these guys that did this. Apparently. Right. And apparently, you know, this was normal for rock concerts. And oh, in so Italy like even, the, the, time, so even like the security guards were like, we've got, this. we've done right. this. Yeah. <laughs> this is nothing. But you know, I don't know the, the story as I understood it was like, it just depended on who, you know, basically these little political factions were basically just glorified gangs, street gangs. And, and depending, and they would have, you know, every so often the balance of power would shift between these street gangs mm-hmm. and the local promoters would align with whoever was the most powerful political party at the yeah. time. And, you know, and if the other one would always try to, you know, 
sabotage or whatever. It was just part of the color of the local scene at that time, according yeah. to what, uh, that's how Chris Lent put it. He's like in hindsight, but at the time, I'm sure that was probably scary for them. Yeah. You know, they get chased away off the stage by, <laughs> you know, a millet. But then again, at the same time, this was at the time. I'd when love there, to see video footage of that. Yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah. There was a, I can remember from that era as a kid, there was something called the Red Brigade, I think. And they kidnapped an American general, and uh, they had him tied to a chair for like three days, and they would they 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 put headphones on him mm-hmm. and blasted heavy metal music <laughs> on, on the headphones <laughs> to torture him, which I always thought was kind of fucking fun. Right. <laughs> Come to find out, it's actually yeah. what makes the world go round on right. the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this, no! this, this American general, you know, probably like you know whatever it's just funny to me but I'm, I'm sure it wasn't funny to him and i'm sure it was scary at the time but whatever <laughs> uh australia and new zealand this runs from november 8th to december 3rd now this is the zenith of of and it canceled uh japan tour too yeah i didn't okay i don't have that yeah uh but, from let's see october 20th to the 30th they were supposed to be uh in tokyo kato nagoya and osaka i wonder what happened there I'm not sure. See, I didn't come up on that. Yeah, I don't have any like clickable like you know read more info links. Right. It's just <laughs> nothing all else those to talk about. Next to is just canceled. <laughs> <laughs> well, this Australian run is the absolute peak of Kiss Mania mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Yeah, they were. I don't think. I don't think they were as, as big in America as they are in Australia during this period. What's, and that includes the Dynasty album. Before mm-hmm. they they didn't tour over there for Dynasty, but Dynasty was a massive album over there, and this album is, is equally massive. And this is this is what you know. We were Americans tend to remember seventy seven, seventy eight is the peak, and seventy eight, nine, and eighties what's remembered in Australia. It's weird. Like the first Kiss DVD I ever got was when they played with the Symphony, and uh, they talked to Australian fans outside the arena, and they're like. I hope they play, you know, Shandy. I hope they play, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Dirty Living and this, that, and the other, all naming Dynasty and yeah. Unmasked tracks. Well, they, they pronounced it Dynasty. Dynasty, yes. And, and Shandy <laughs> was a big hit there. Shandy was, I think, like a number one hit down there. And uh, it is claimed that one in 14 Australians own a Kiss album. Huh. And you know, the media coverage is massive. I mean, they are front page news. They are lead story on, you know, the evening news. It's magazines, it's television, it's radio. I mean, it's Kiss Mania. It's mm-hmm. Beatle Mania. Yeah. And that's how big this is in that period. Um, the merchandising is perhaps even greater than America. And uh, it's not controlled by a coin. It's 20th Century Fox merchandising. <laughs> yep. Um, they Let's see, I guess the, the tour starts with uh, the only arena shows they do there, but it's, what, four nights in Perth, Australia, all sold out. Yeah. So, and I think it's like, what, 10,000 people a night. So, it's a good ego boost for them. You know, that's 40,000 people in one city. That's a stadium show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, but some of the gigs they were playing half filled. But the rest of the shows are stadium shows. Yeah, but I think all those shows still did really, really, really well. It's all things considered. All things considered. Uh, they get presented with the key to the city in, uh, in Sydney. Mm-hmm. 
Large public event. If you watch, the, you can see footage that thousands of people in the street. That's the footage of like Gene dangling his boot yeah, over the ledge yeah. and Paul coming out doing the big kissy like arms thing. Uh, interestingly enough, Elton John is in Sydney at the same time and, I, and he attends a, an, a, an after show party, but I'm not sure if he attends the show itself or not. But uh, I just, just find it interesting. This isn't the first time Elton John has been to a Kiss concert. So it wouldn't, you know, it's it's just interesting to me that Elton John digs Kiss. Yeah. yeah. And likes to hang out with them or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, well, sees he probably them saw the equals. It, well, he probably saw the, you know, and this is weird, but, you know, just hanging out with his. He probably saw the weird artisticness of it and was intrigued. Like, oh, it's guys and makeup making rock and roll music. This it's, is interesting. This is artsy. It's as equally interesting now that we don't see them as equals as they probably we did at the time we still right. see elton john as something bigger than yeah Kiss. Mm-hmm. well because he probably did bigger stuff throughout the 80s yeah. he continued well, he to can, grow yeah well he was i think he was always bigger than kiss but well he did the uh flamboyant yeah. stage show as well his, elton john his, did his fan base was probably a lot more wide yeah yeah more, and obviously more mainstream um so Paul is dating an actress named Leslie Ann Warren at this period, and she's filming a movie called The Treasure of Yankee Zephyr. <laughs> I was wondering if Who this was going to come up. <laughs> the Treasure of the Yankee Zephyr. And she's in New Zealand. And he decides to rent a plane to go see her. A helicopter. Was it a helicopter or a plane? I'm pretty sure a helicopter because he landed on set, didn't he? Uh, you know, I read yeah, that, that, you know, supposedly with his showing up, Ruined a day's footage. Or yeah, something. Okay. I was making sure that's what it was. Yes. So he he shows up in a helicopter and lands basically in the parking lot, like the field next to where they're shooting this movie. Good job, Paul. <laughs> and I'm sure she loved that. Supposedly, this visit only lasts a couple of hours. Yeah. And costs about. It's reported that it costs twenty five thousand dollars to make this trip. Mm-hmm. And Kiss already has New Zealand dates scheduled for the following week. So this is additional expense. Yeah. I just wanted to come see my baby in New Zealand. I just wanted to see if, you know, she would have a good movie if she had a star in her crotch. (laughs) God damn it, Paul. You ruined it again. (laughs) Can I be in the movie? And of course, you know, they break up like weeks after. Yeah. That's always what happens. Um, But this, you know, the whole Australian thing, that's, you know, we're kind of glossing over about, about, you know, because it's such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. But it's it's massive. It really is. I don't think massive really is the right word because I think it's so much more bigger than that. But And it's bigger than what was happening in the U.S. because the U.S. was always getting a slow trickle of it. And all of a sudden it pops hard over there and now they're finally there. So it's like Beatle kind of hysteria when they came to the U.S. But it crests at the same time as the U.S. popularity because as this ends, their popularity ends there. You know, that, that wave, that, that fad. Mm-hmm. I hate to use that word, but it keeps coming back to it. Mm-hmm. Kiss was a fad. Yeah. You know, uh, for people that weren't diehard Kiss fans, that 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 era where they became so big is really just a fad era, you mm-hmm. know. And and it's and that's kind of what I meant at the beginning of the episode, where it's like they used to be this cult band that had this dedicated follower of people that they felt like they were the kings of the outsiders, and it was like these are our heroes. This is what they, you know they represent our hopes and dreams and aspirations and these over the top personas, you know. And it's like you know. It's an outsider thing. And then they become very mainstream mm-hmm. and they alienate that fan base. And that fan base goes, whoo, 
And now they've got this other fan base that's not going to sustain because it's just a temporary thing. It's a fad. And yeah. once it's over, it's all over. They've done burned the candle at both ends and there's nowhere else to go. Mm. These last shows are in New Zealand. Uh, I've got the, I guess, Wellington, New Zealand. It says 19,000 out of 40,000 tickets sold. Now, Oof. still 20,000 people. Yeah. That's still impressive. But yeah. It's an outdoor 40,000 seat thing. And then December 3rd, it's notable show because it's uh, this is in Auckland, New Zealand. It's the final full show that they do with Ace Fraley. Yep. So not only now we're seeing all this, it's all coming down to this last, their last big year. Mm-hmm. The success of, well, it's interesting to note, the overhead costs for the two New Zealand shows wipes away all of the profits from their promoters yeah. for the entire the whole like, Australia New Zealand part who's handling the books that's is it Howard Marks about, that's what I was about to say it's like I, it feels like with the amount of touring they've done they would be able to see how much the overcall, overhead is going to be versus they were presented with the invoices up ahead that's what I'm saying it yeah. was like they were told you, you know scale back tone down do something you know let's let's go nope can't do it gotta be kiss can't you remember what we said yeah, on the yeah, previous yeah. episode? It's cheaper than not touring. Yeah, which right. isn't just an arrogant, Which makes no ugly sense. way of looking at it. It's like you're losing money. Yeah, it is cheaper than not touring. <laughs> <laughs> or it's not cheaper than not touring. It's yeah, 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 you know, know what, what I mean. mean. Yeah. So it's like they get it. They've just and and the fad is over. This is important because like at the end of this, it's like. That, you know the Australian promoters they feel jilted because they've put so much time and energy and this thing is the biggest thing in the world and mm. now it's like they've come away with nothing yeah the overhead and the expense leaves kiss with hardly anything I mean they make a profit but not really nothing yeah and you know and no one's starting to not care in the US and and there's nowhere to go and you know super kiss is over mm-hmm. and and in a really very real sense kiss is over and no one's because worth. everything they do from here on out is never going to be the same yeah. ever at all on any level and no one's more jaded than their league guitar player yeah you gotta you got you know but i think that's and again still i find that so bizarre especially because like he got three songs on the record and they got all this crazy amount of success overseas so it seems like he was there would still be enough to be placating him well, he may if not that be makes there any sense. yet you know, we've got, you know, what we're getting ready to get into is probably really what's going to probably tell you. It's going to throw a lot of people sideways, you know, yeah. not just Ace, but, you know, but, you know, we'll we'll talk about that in the next episode where things are going to get really interesting, I guess. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. Are uh, really you, curious anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I, I highly doubt we're going to be spending a lot of time on the track by track, but more or less everything that is surrounding this record. Well, we'll mm-hmm. do both. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, hopefully you guys will uh, join us as we kind of tackle the uh the uh, anomalous music from the elder yes <laughs> that's gonna be very interesting the the possibly the the greatest worst album of all time <laughs> <laughs> i don't know we'll, we'll have to discuss that yeah, i have i have interesting thoughts on that record. is it so too. bad it's good well, you know, my, my perspective of it is going to be kind of skewed because I can remember that as a new album as well. Mm. So it still holds a nostalgic place for me. Right. But we'll talk about all that, and uh, hopefully you guys will join us. And until then, for Cap and Alex, I'm Russ, and we'll talk to you next time on No Time to Turn. Good night! Thank you for listening. 
Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month. At patreon.com slash something good network.